Welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm Jim Dudley. I hope you're well. This episode of Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Learn more about how their accurate virtual crime center can help you solve more crime and find non-obvious connections at risk.lexisnexis.com backslash AVCC. Well, today we've got a great guest and we've heard a lot about apps that help us program electronics in our homes, how to access training, and even to see where crime is occurring almost in real time. And we know civilians have access to information that may warn them of traffic delays or police activity. Wouldn't it be great to take advantage of off-duty experts in the field to assist in periphery at critical incidents and mass casualty incidents? also in real time. Well, my guest today has some ideas that may bring this concept to reality. Lieutenant Travis Norton is a 21-year veteran with the Oceanside Police Department. He was on his department's tactical team for 14 years and is currently a watch commander, manages the crisis negotiation team, and is his department's emergency planner. He teaches tactical science for field command and SWAT-related topics, and critical incident management for the National Tactical Officers Association and the California Association of Tactical Officers, CATO. Travis is the team leader for the CATO After Action Review Team and is on the CATO SWAT Board of Certification. Travis also holds a master's degree from Cal State Long Beach in Emergency Services Administration, and he's currently working on his doctoral degree in policy, planning, and development at USC. Welcome to the show, Lieutenant Travis Norton. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, so we've heard some of these ideas kicked around before. Tell us about your idea for an app for these kinds of situations. So conducting all the after action reviews that I've done for the uh, Cato after action review team, uh, some things have become pretty apparent to me. And one of the questions I started asking myself, mostly after the Las Vegas incident was how can we in law enforcement utilize off-duty public safety personnel and possibly event staff and integrate them into the response phase of a mass shooting, an active shooter at a public access event, such as a concert or you know, a race or something like that, and leverage their training and their experience to the advantage of the responders that are already there. And you know, one of the relatively unexplored areas of law enforcement and citizen partnership is the integration piece of those off-duty public safety and the medical personnel. So when I say off-duty public safety, I'm not just talking about police. I'm also talking about fire EMS. How do we integrate them into that phase during a pre-planned event? And because those public safety personnel, they're off duty at the time when they attend these events, they're actually doing so as citizens, right? And research of past violent events indicates that civilians are going to be among some of the first to aid the injured when we, when we have a calamity. Uh, so I'll just take Vegas, just as an example, 2017 Route 91 Harvest Festival, which we're all very familiar with in Las Vegas, Nevada. In that incident, you had civilians, off-duty public safety personnel that were providing life-saving measures for wounded victims. Now it's, and like I said, it's important to note that this concert was heavily attended by those off-duty public safety personnel and 
who attends these events is going to have a huge impact when an active shooter event occurs. And what I mean by that is that imagine if Route 91 had been a teenage concert. Would you have had the same response from off-duty public safety personnel? And the answer is probably not. That just goes to planners understanding what type of events they are having and who is attending those events. It's going to affect your response and what kind of reaction you get from that crowd. Now, the FEMA after action report in the Las Vegas incident says that the actions of the individuals involved, the off-duty public safety personnel, were for the most part, they weren't done in conjunction with responding public safety personnel. That demonstrates how we can, that, that gives us a gap there where we can integrate these off-duty emergency workers into future events and the medical personnel as well, because they're gonna render assistance already, let's integrate them in. And leveraging their training and experience into a collaborative network effort with first responders is ultimately gonna save lives. And it is also gonna help us lessen the self-induced chaos by stopping independent actions, which as we all know, hamper our response efforts. Um, this is gonna be very, very important for us. And one idea that I have to leverage them, because if you, look at, if you look at the videos from Vegas, one thing that you can start to see very quickly with the off-duty public safety personnel is you can see them self-organized networks. And if you watch them, I mean, we all know what a police officer looks like and, and how, they, you know, how they move and, and what they do. And you can see them actually just self-organize and start to work together to help the stop the dying. And they fashion tourniquets with belts and they do all of these things. And so we need a way to leverage that experience into our stop the dying phase. So the, the idea came to me is to develop an app that's gonna integrate the, those off-duty public safety personnel into that stop the dying phase at a public access event. I'm not talking about in Orlando or something like that. This is strictly for these events that we're going to as citizens. Uh, now, agencies, just as a note, should have pre-plans for these large-scale events, and that's part that's going to be very important. I know the pre-plans lack the situational awareness for implementation, but they're of enormous value for us in organizing thoughts, identifying assets, making arrangements for resources, and developing contingencies. And part of that should also include, where are my casualty collection points? Where are my throw kits, my mass casualty throw kits that I should have? Where are my evacuation points for this event? Now, we would, what, what this app would do is we would publicly, public safety personnel would get vetted through some type of trusted verification purpose and do so annually or biannually. I haven't vet, you know, pushed any of that out yet. And it would, uh, the way it would work is that the law enforcement agency with jurisdiction over the event would input whatever information they want into that application. So for example, I talked about where are our casualty collection points, where are our medical supplies, where are our evacuation routes. And when an active shooter event occurs at one of these, those off-duty personnel, they can assist if possible. So they put that information into the app and then I, either we geofence it or however we do that, as we walk into that, I get that information on my, on my application. And so now if something happens, now you don't have to, I mean, I understand that, you know, you have family members with you, you're going to evac them or however that I, I understand that piece. But now if something happens, at least I don't have to self-organize. I can go myself to a casualty collection point or know how to evac people and actually assist 
in that stop the dying phase. And, um, you know, if you talk to medics, they'll tell you we're just buying time at these events with tourniquets, chest seals, and combat gauze. And so now we're actually speeding up that time. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so let me just um, play dev devil's advocate for a couple of these issues. I mean, it's awesome. And we have seen these things at these events. And we know we're lucky sometimes when these things happen without disruption. I know you, like most of our listeners, go to a movie theater or go to an event. And you're looking at the exits. If something happens, where do I go? Where do I evacuate? What would I do? Um, what about identification issues? Um, you, you talked about self-deploying in some of these situations. And uh, in a situation where uh, officers are arriving and we're looking for a man with a gun, and now you got another 25 guys running around with guns out. Tell me, walk me through a little bit of the identification. How do we separate the, the good guys from the bad guys in that situation? Well, one of the, and that's a great point. I, I say the the response phase, and I'm not talking about the stop the killing phase. Sure. I'm actually just addressing that stop the dying phase. And to your your point about self-deployment, which we know inappropriate self-deployment is one of the primary problems we have at large-scale critical incidents involving an adversary. And so to, to your point, I think how we stop the, that inappropriate self-deployment is whoever the incident commander is, the designee, will have some type of option on that app to say no help is needed. Mm, okay. We don't need any help right now. And, um, you know, because you're going to have all those resources flowing in, it's just going to, we know, we all know everything, right? Our tactics are context dependent based on the situation we're dealing with. We're going to take our strategy of stop the dying and whatever tactics we use are going to be based on the problem that we're presented with at the time. Right. Absolutely. What about uh, communications during the incident? Will that also be relayed through the app? You know, I, Another great point. That is something, you know, there's not going to, I don't think your off-duty responders, I don't know if, if you want the off-duty responders responding to somebody during that. And we all know as an incident commander, you're overwhelmed by, you know, or your designees are going to be overwhelmed during that initial response phase. So that is something that I, I have not flushed out yet that absolutely is a great question to, to kick around. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense that uh, they're going to be overwhelmed at the incident, but maybe a, a secondary uh, command post or uh, an operations center, somebody there with a, a you know, the 30,000 foot level can see the, the map and figure out where the best uh, staging areas or safe evacuation areas are. So, yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, um, well, go ahead, go ahead finish, finish up your, your um, your final thoughts on this? No, I I think I you know I think you covered it all. Is that the IC would you know the incident commander or whoever their designee would would be able to to put out over the app that hey there's no further help needed, and you know you just need to evacuate or or whatever is appropriate at the time because I really don't want that oversaturation of resources because we already get the inappropriate self deployment from from either ourselves or other agencies yeah. and we and that can become a, a problem in and of itself and so i really you know i don't want to want to add to that to that issue if possible sure. but we definitely got we have to leverage our training as we're attending these events to to assist in that stop the dying phase and and not work against the response system but work in conjunction with it 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that a lot of times in inside the hot zone of a critical incident, we don't have uh, firefighters or EMTs willing, or they might be willing, but but by their own policy, they don't go into those zones until it's clear. So it's nice to have um, the the assistance of the off duties. So I'm guessing you sign up for the app and you put in all your specialties that you can use an AED and a tourniquet and. Yeah, I mean, most of us, right, most of us now are, most of us carry tourniquets on us. Most of us carry all these things. We get regular training with these, um, you know, these life-saving devices. And I, and I just think it's important that we, we start doing more to leverage our, our, our training and our education, and our experience to, to assist these poor people that are getting that are getting hurt at these events. Sure. And I mean, early on, you brought up some really good points about, you know, say it is a Justin Bieber concert, and you're there with your dog. Right. And um, clearly, you want to make sure that they're safe before you do anything else. So maybe you get them evacuated to a safe place and, and go re-engage. Um, so we saw during the, the um, Las Vegas incident, we saw people commandeering vehicles and, and dragging people off to safety. Yeah, great. That's idea. A, and that's another point that brings up is, is in that incident, uh, they, they uh, rideshare services suspended charging people and they actually evacuated them out of the area. And so another piece of this would might be a rideshare service is also able to plug into the app for just the evacuation piece. Where can they safely stage when people are evacuating to take them out of the area? And that's another another uh, part of the equation that I think is is really important and that we can also use for for evacuations. Mm -hmm. So, have you have you thought about clearly? You know, we're in a litigious society. Have you thought about um, the coverage or some waiver if you sign up for this app that we're not going to be sued for anything that we do? Well, we, we all know everybody's going to sue us no matter what, right? Um, the, again, something I'd have to speak to legal about, but I, I, you, if I know, if you watch, again, you watch those videos and I know what I'm going to do at one of these events, I'm going to try and save lives. And if I can work with the guys that are there on duty and, and not get in their way in a system, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But it's definitely another piece of this that, as you know, needs to absolutely be be talked about so absolutely and i love the fact that nobody was thinking lawsuit at las vegas and some of these other incidents where real heroes stepped up um you know they could have just easily run away and not been blamed but they went into the fray and they helped people that were down and you know put right. pressure on wounds and tourniquets like you said i mean awesome awesome work uh, a lot of heroes from uh, southern california uh, off duties that were there helping people just awesome. Hey, I'd like to take a second and pause to recognize and thank our sponsor, LexisNexis. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps accelerate our investigations by finding connections between public records and nationwide law enforcement data with one search. To learn about the Accurate Virtual Crime Center, register now for the LexisNexis Law Enforcement Conference. This free virtual event on November 10th, 2020, will showcase live keynotes followed by on-demand access to a library of expert-led sessions, including perspectives from law enforcement leaders nationwide, training for your entire agency, and live help from product experts. 
Register now by going to risk.lexisnexus.com backslash L-E register. That's L-E as in law enforcement register. All right, LexisNexus is awesome. Been using it for years. Uh, I don't know what department hasn't accessed uh, some of their great stuff. We're talking with Lieutenant Travis Norton. He's got a great idea for an app to, to bring in off duties to critical incidents when they can help. And uh, I just read a, a, an article that you wrote about uh, switching gears a little bit um, about drones, or uh, we're calling them UAS for unmanned aircraft systems and you know it seems like we go in spurts with technology to assist uh, the job at hand but um, the emergence of drones it's huge tell us about it yeah i mean it's it, you know the use of uas is it sparked a lot of debate among our privacy groups about about their potential abuse but the thing is there's less talk about how we can increase community safety and how we can also inform decision making during critical incidents and specifically how can we use these the, the unmanned uh, aircraft systems to decrease the amount of time it takes us at a critical incident to gain situational awareness such as during an active shooter event and uh, you know we've got departments there's a department in southern california that's using drones to answer radio calls uh, swat teams are using them across the country to clear structures and you know, these are just two of the novel ways that, that agencies are using this technology to increase the safety for, for everybody that's, that's out there. And specifically the question that came up for me after reviewing a few incidents is how can it take, how can we utilize this technology on the timeline of an event to decrease the time it takes to gain situational awareness, which actually increase the tempo of your operation. So, you know, while I'm arriving, I've got my arrival, and then I've got the time it takes me to gain situational awareness, followed by applying the countermeasures that I hastily plan. And that gaining situational awareness piece is slowing down our ability to put on those countermeasures. Who's, where's our adversary? Where are injured? If we have an officer down, where's the officer down? Um, so in a recent, in, in a few recent active shooter events, the, the first arriving officers have been ambushed by the suspects when they attempted to enter. Uh, and, and just as a side note, if any of you active shooter trainers out there, please train your officers to not enter through the front door. We're getting ambushed at the front door. There's always another entrance, not always, but usually another entrance, especially at businesses that you can go through and we're getting ambushed at the front door of these events. Um, in California, uh, they, they had an incident where uh, an officer was, was killed going through the primary entrance and another incident, a suspect shot at some arriving officers from the main point of an entry into a large parking area. And later in the same event, he ambushed some, some SWAT officers searching a large warehouse. So there's also some other incidents that have, that have happened in the last year or so where uh, officers were conducting rescues with uh, ARVs, armored rescue vehicles. And uh, you know, there's questions, well, why is the rescue taking so long? Why does it take this long to do that? Kind of like the the flack that they took in Orlando about why did it take them so long to do that rescue. And when you start to look at these events and actually talk to those involved, you figure out very quickly that a lot of it focuses on gaining situational awareness. I mean, imagine arriving at an officer down with your armored rescue vehicle, which I suggest your patrol has access to, and you've got zero knowledge of several pieces of critical intelligence, which 
Where's the downed officer? What does the backyard of this target location look like? Are there obstacles in our way? Where's the suspect firing from? And all these other things that are creating this friction for you in this uncertainty piece that is now just slowing down your planning piece and a totally, a completely thwarting your attempts to put countermeasures on that. So in those circumstances that I've mentioned above, I started to ask myself, would a hastily deployed UAS provide us with vital intelligence to inform our crisis decision-making and thereby reducing that uncertainty piece, which, which is we all, we're always trying to do. Uncertainty we know is inherent in crises. It's always gonna be there for us. We're gonna be making decisions based on confusing, uh, ambiguous, and even conflicting information. And that's okay, we just have to get used to it, as we know. And while that, while that UAS is not, by any stretch of the imagination, going to be a panacea, they could contribute several things to us. Number one, an overhead view of the ingress and egress routes. It could identify obstacles in the way of, if I'm talking about an officer rescue, obstacles in the way of us and our officers. The suspect's location possibly or where he's shooting from and maybe the downed officer's location. And if we go to active shooters, well, how about flying that UAS right through the front door? If we're going to get ambushed, can it look right, left and see where it's at? And I go, well, what if he shoots at it? Well, great. That's what we're, we've got to know. He's there. Um, so deploying an, a UAS during one of these adversarial types crises is going to be context dependent. And I get that. And I, like I said, they're not a panacea. If you still got active gunfire inside the location, or there are other mitigating circumstances, a UAS, I, I understand it's not going to provide you a lot of benefit. Um, again, like we talked about before, your tactics are context dependent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a UAS could also, like I just talked about, help you thwart and ambush in some of these situations. So. My suggestion is, and I'll get to the, the legal side of this and, and FAA here in just a second, which I know is a major part of this. My suggestion is equip your armored response vehicles, rescue vehicles with a UAS that has a dedicated LCD monitor. So everybody is, you know, I, I might not have the app on my cell phone um, that's gonna be capable of pairing with that UAS. And then equip your supervisor and select the patrol vehicles with UAS that's capable of indoor and outdoor use. I know it takes practice. I get it. And, the, and again, this is something that's going to have to be, you know, uh, trained on and all that. But the bottom line is we get a lot of intel and information out of a UAS. Now, let's talk about the legal considerations here real quick. We know the FAA is responsible for air traffic in the United States, and we must respect their authority in this. And departments usually have part 107s or they have COAs. Now, what's gonna happen is if you put this in the back of an ARV or you have somebody who it's in the back of their car and they're not trained, we're now violating that. Hmm. But what I'm suggesting is either train them and get them part 107, get their licenses, which I understand is a problem, but talk with your FAA representative. We've all got them if you're running UAS uh, uh, teams. We have one at my, at my agency. And ask him, hey, if we have an in extremist event with officers down, lives on the line, and we violate our COA, what's the what is the ramifications of that? Um, I can tell you what I I, I guess it's going to be, um, but if you can do this, and I know uh, you know a lot of training, buying the UAS and all these things, but the payoff, shortening the amount of time you're able to put countermeasures on a problem when one of your officers is laying dying or people are dying is so important. So um, 
Yeah, that, it's, that's, it's, yeah. yeah, it certainly makes sense to if you do have a trained individual, whether on on a team or at your agency, that if it's in your uh, you can add it to your matrix checklist for high uh, risk search warrants and uh, get it get all the approval ahead of time. Um, in your article, you, it, I mean, it's a great thought provoking article and you, you talk about the future and you write at one point in the future, it is conceivable that the UAS can be first responders to active shooter incidents. Now, is that really possible? And if it is, why aren't we doing it now with bomb robots? We have bomb robots and um, I think they're underutilized. I mean, the really good ones with video capability, some of them can even be fitted with uh, you know, a firearm. Why, why aren't we using those more in, in search warrants? I, I think you have teams now that are, that are using that technology, that are using drones on every warrant service that they have. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the issue is that, like you talked about, it's when one of these incidents happens, the guy that can fly the UAS is not going to be on duty. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying, hey, if we can develop cadres that are out there that know how to fly these and we can get them on scene, that's what we're, what we're looking for. Again, a lot to be worked on here. I, I understand that, but I think the idea is sound. And, and to your point, why aren't we you know, I, I talked about a future where you've got nests of drones inside businesses that can, you know, gunshot detection goes off and those that nest deploys. And what they're trying to do is find that active shooter, feed that information to responders. What is that location? Again, speeding up the amount of time it takes us to gain that situational uh, awareness to put those countermeasures on that problem to ultimately what our goal is, as we all know, is to save lives. Yep. Yeah, I think I think at some point there needs to be a, a public uh, address uh, to inform the public what this is about. Of course, the libertarians and the anti-policing experts will talk about how this is just you know, a spying tool when we know the safety aspects um, that are involved that we're not using. It, law enforcement is not using drones to gather intelligence on citizens. Um, the That's idea, a great point. The idea that you're just using them for critical incidents, for spontaneous incidents, um, I think that that needs to be part of the rollout that we often miss and, and that people would love to jump on to, to criticize. So maybe get that out there ahead of time and, and talk about those aspects. Well, that's a that's a really good point. And one of the things I've been pushing with all the anti-police stuff is informing our communities on what we do during our protest response. It's no different with your UAS program, because if you just inform the citizens on exactly what you're doing, an informed citizen is very hard to radicalize. <laughs> right. And so, I, you know, that's why I'm encouraging departments right now with the protests and the impact munitions that we employ at these things and, and to inform the citizens. It's no different than than, than the UAS program. In fact, the, the agency that, that did the, uh, the response to radio calls, they did a very robust, they got the detractors on board, those that say these are, you know, you guys are doing, hey, you, you bring them in early and you show them exactly what you're doing, as you know, and uh, help maintain that legitimacy with your community and let them know exactly what you're doing. And that's such a huge piece, especially to, to what you said right now with everything going on. Yeah. Well, that's great. It's a great article. Let me see if it's a article on uh, utilizing drones for situational awareness during adversarial crises. Where can we find this um, article? 
So that was printed in the Tactical Edge from the National Tactical Ops Association. However, uh, it's going to be reprinted on Police One here in the near future. Awesome. Um, so should be up. Well, it, hopefully it, it um, accompanies this podcast. And uh, any, any closing remarks, Lieutenant Travis Norton? No, I just, uh, you know, all I can say is keep working on, on getting this technology and leveraging it into helping us save lives because that's ultimately what we're just what we're trying to do whether it's our officers or citizens well thank you lieutenant travis norton for what you do on a daily basis supporting the law enforcement mission uh, and for your service to our listeners uh thank you for listening do you use drones at your agency if so how do you do it uh write us at policing matters at policeone.com we'd love to hear about your experience and also think about it. Would you sign up for the app that might deploy you during an off-duty event to be a resource at the incident? Why or why not? Um, It's up to the individual, and um, I think it's a great idea. Uh, Lieutenant Norton, thanks again. Thank you. All right, so uh, where else can we find you? Where can we find you on Twitter or your articles? PoliceOne.com. PoliceOne. Yeah, Police One, I've got I've written a bunch of articles for NTOA as well for Tactical Edge. Awesome. All right, listeners, thanks again for listening. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Jim Dudley. Take care.